0: So this week, I got to go to Calgary for our National Convention Network of Churches. And whenever we go to another city across Canada, as a staff, if some of our staff is going across Canada, we encourage them, find the originals, find the UBC originals who have now gone across Canada and get them together for a meal, for breakfast. So I had breakfast with... Thomas and Emma and Thomas and some of you know them. How many of you know them? Oh yeah, yeah, it's not so long, right? They've not been away. So this is one of the things I really encourage you, if you move across Canada or even if you move to another country, find out who the originals are from origin. We've been around for 13 years here at UBC. There's quite a few originals scattered across the globe and it is so fun. Uh, to get together to talk about original moments and to talk about what God's doing in your life And, and to share that same ambition that we know we've been called into a great love life with God and a great love life with people in this world. And then we get to share that mission together. And it is so much fun. I had a great time. I wish you'd all been there at breakfast would have been an expensive bill, even though it was Denny's, right? I want to welcome this morning uh, friends that I just made uh, from Blue Mountain at College University. And uh, they knew friends of ours called Salt and Susan Jones, who had been ministers here in the student ministry like way back, like 1997, 98, 98. Ninety-nine, 2000, okay, now I know some of you were born. <laughs> and just so delighted to have you all here. Brittany's been leading this team uh, this week that's been doing mission and ministry across the city, and we're really glad you're here, so thank you for being here uh, with us. I want to invite you all to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. We're in the middle of a, a series on living in view of God's mercy, and uh, it, it's drawn out of Romans 12, which we're going to land in next week. But this is, we're in the season of Easter still, right? So we're on the way to Pentecost, but in the Christian calendar, we are still in Easter, and it is so much fun, right? We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, and you heard that in the songs we were singing, that death says something is over. But the resurrection says something is new. Something is starting. And this is what we celebrate in the life of Jesus, that in Christ we're buried with him in baptism. Something is over. But there's something new starting because we are raised to new life with him. We are baptized into his resurrection as well. In Luke 5, we keep seeing the mercy of God being expressed. And we're in the middle of a dinner party discussion. Last week was part one, and this is part two. But some of you don't remember the passage from last week. I forget a lot of sermons, even the ones I preach. So I'm going to start in verse 27, and we'll pick up the whole story down to verse 39. complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so did do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours, go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. And he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking the old wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Jesus has such an interesting conversation with these Pharisees and his disciples and the teachers of the Pharisees who were there with them. And at issue is this question, it seems, what does repentance really look like? What does repentance look like? What does devotion towards God really look like? What does it look like to love God well? To the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, it did not look like having a party with tax collectors and sinners. It didn't look like eating and drinking and having table fellowship with tax collectors and sinners. That is not repentance towards God in their minds. It's not the right look in their mind. Do you know the scripture says there's a time for everything. This kind of wisdom did permeate, but when we get caught in a it must look this way or it must look that way kind of moment, we get caught in a, in a kind of either this or that thinking. The disciples were there, or the Pharisees were there. It's almost as if Jesus could have said, you know, there's a time for everything. There's a season for every activity under the season heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep. And a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. That's wisdom. There is a time. And what Jesus does instead is give them a parable. He gives them parables. He actually gives them three answers to their question. Jesus says, look, I've come to call sinners to repentance. This is the pathway to my forgiveness and the experience. I've called them to repentance. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sort of like, Well, we do that too. We call sinners to repentance. So, but why do do you keep having a party? Why don't you fast and pray? That's what repentance looks like. Repentance looks like fasting and praying. Mourning and weeping. And so Jesus gives them three answers. The first answer that he gives them is sort of to say, hey, look it. Repentance leads to a celebration. Repentance leads to a wedding party of sorts. And he he puts himself in the story and in this little parable and says, you know, you can't keep the friends of the bridegroom from having a party when the bridegroom is with them. That that only happens if you're really unhappy about the wedding. Do you ever go to a wedding where everyone was weeping? It's because they didn't want the wedding to happen. But the bridegroom is there, the wedding is on, and they're excited, they're happy. It's not a time for fasting. It's a time for the party, for the eating and the drinking and the celebrating. And Jesus says, notice he says in verse 34, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? In other words, this is what repentance looks like in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, repentance ushers you into the presence of the bridegroom. And it's a party. Because the movement and direction of repentance is actually to be with the bridegroom of heaven. It's to be with Jesus. It's to come into the communion of God. And this is a party. And so when that movement is done, repentance brings you into this wedding celebration. Welcome to the church. The ongoing celebration and party Of the grace of God that brought us to repentance, the kindness of God that brought us to repentance, so that we changed our mind about God, about ourselves, about people, and about the stuff of earth, because we see everything now through the cross of Christ his death, his burial, his resurrection. And that's a party, it's meant to be a celebration. And Matthew, or Levi, is literally having a party because he's come into life with Jesus. He's following Jesus, and it's a party. There's been repentance. There's been a change of mind. In fact, Luke is so profound in the choice of words, it says, he left everything. There was no going back for Levi. He left everything to be with Jesus. Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. And there is to be a party when people repent, when they change their mind about God. Do you know this references back to Isaiah chapter 61? In Isaiah 61, Luke is already showed Jesus quoting this where he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he goes on. But in Isaiah 61, the servant goes on to say, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels the spirit of the lord is upon me because he's bringing me to a wedding celebration Whew. and jesus claimed that right here <laughs> my friends have got to celebrate because i'm the bridegroom and we're at a wedding It doesn't look like a wedding to you. But this is a wedding. And then he goes on. He tells them two parables. So the first thing he tells them is, look, I'm the bridegroom and this is a wedding. The second thing he tells them is that you are applying a good tool at the wrong time. Notice the parable. He says, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. Do you know, I think Jesus could never, well, Jesus could have imagined. I'll do the disciples. The disciples couldn't have imagined a day where we had jeans and we were proud of them because they had holes in them. <laughs> but you know, that's a diff- it's a different day where you know, we pay for jeans with holes in them used to just tear me up as, as a parent. I'm like, you bought jeans with holes in them? <laughs> Those jeans need a patch. So where are you going to get the patch? You know, it would ruin it, right? You know, if you put a patch on that. This is a perfectly good pair of jeans with holes in them. Why would you put a patch on it? It's going to ruin it. And Jesus is, is like, you know, your prayer and your fasting is a good tool, but you're trying to apply it at the wrong time. The repentance and change of mind has come. It is done, and now we're having the party. And we're inviting others into this relationship with Jesus. Prayer and fasting is good. It's a good garment. But you're, you're not going to take a rip from that tool, and apply it over here. Why would you put a patch on a new garment? There's a new thing going on over here. Why are you going to take a patch and put it on? Wrong tool for this time. It's a good tool, but it's not the right time. In fact, prayer and fasting, Jesus had had gone on to say, there will be a day when, when my friends pray and fast because the bridegroom is taken away from them. Don't you know that from Friday night till Saturday and then even into Sunday morning, those disciples couldn't bear to eat a thing because they were traumatized? It's hard to eat when you're traumatized. It's even harder to pray. And I believe that's the span of time Jesus was speaking of. The bridegroom had been taken away from them. They didn't see him. They didn't sense him. They didn't know him. They thought it was over. That this was a terrible tragedy. There would be no wedding. There would be no feast. The kingdom of Jesus was just an idea. They had disappeared. So they fasted and they prayed. But now we're the people of the resurrection. So where does fasting and prayer fit in with us? We still fast and pray, right? There's still occasions where we need to fast and pray, where we need to go deeper with the Lord because we haven't really gotten down to that false self that's inside of us and realized the new self of creation and the new creation yet. And so we may fast and pray. I've really appreciated the work of Tyler Staten in his book, Praying like monks, living like fools. This is our summer book reading recommendation for you. I have one copy. It's mine. <laughs> Sorry. Amazon has a lot of them, apparently. Regent has a few. He, he talks about why do Christians continue to fast and pray? Why do we enter into seasons like that? And he talks about our need for confession. He says, for for many of us, the mistake of the modern church is to reimagine or imagine that spiritual maturity means that we have less to confess. The unspoken assumption is, as I ascend in relationship with God, I confess less because I have less to confess. However, true spiritual maturity is the opposite. It's not an ascension. It's an archaeological dig as we discover layer after layer of layer of what was in us all along. Spiritual maturity means more confession, not less. Maturity is discovering the depths of my personal brand of fallenness and the depths to which God's grace has really penetrated even without me knowing it. In the night there may be mourning and prayer and confession, but in the morning there will be joy. There will be a party. There will be a celebration. And as you go deeper with the Lord and that false self begins to be known and transformed and even owned by us, so that we can give it to Jesus, then we go deeper with him, and the joy is deeper as well. It's then that we share in his heart and mission. And actually, as Christ accepted us, we can accept others. Our acceptance of others is so shallow because our grasp of the acceptance of God, of ourselves, is also shallow. So yes, we will fast and pray. Right tool for the right problem. But on this day with Jesus and the disciples and Levi and his friends and those tax collectors hanging out celebrating that Levi had a new mission and purpose in his life, it wasn't a day for prayer and fasting. It was a day for celebration and saying, hey, you too could find your purpose in Christ. You too could find something new with Jesus. So Jesus goes on and tells them another parable, another story. Notice he says in verse 37, And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Now, for most of us, none of us here have given our lives to the making of wine. We don't know the culture. Really? Really? Is there anybody here who makes wine? Anyone who confess and admit (laughs) that you're making wine? So in the making of wine, apparently, the fermentation process is so strong that the new wine must be put in a new skin so that that skin is flexible, because it's new. And as the fermentation process begins and it's expanding and giving off gases, it's expanding and growing. And then it can be released. Then you put the cap back on and the fermentation goes on. Jesus is, is, is telling them, look, why would you take an old wineskin skin?" Because an old wineskin was still very valuable. An old wineskin, when the fermentation process was done, they would take the wine that was in that skin and pour it into an old wineskin. Why? Because you didn't want to lose the wine. But if you poured new wine into an old wineskin, you know what would happen? It's just going to bust. That old wineskin it's going to break and then you lose the wine and you lose the skin that was valuable so what's jesus after here we get this parable applied a lot of different ways what's jesus after in this moment i believe he's telling them look you see something happening here but you are underestimating what's happening In part because you don't recognize the bridegroom. You don't see what's really happening. And you underestimate the power of the kingdom of God in this place. The power of the kingdom of God in this people. And for it to work, there's going to have to be something new. The work and way of the law was good. It is a good skin. It's an old wine skin. But the work of the kingdom is something new. And it's going to take a new skin. There will be a day when even that work feels familiar. That work feels old. In fact, he says, look, most people like old wine. Because it tastes better. It has its flavor set. Most of you, if you're not wine drinkers, you don't know that. I don't know it either. I just take it for granted that it's true. I think our mission team in in Greece had this experience. They were there having communion, and they served wine. And part of the group said, that's good wine. And part of the group said, (laughs) 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 they didn't know and they didn't like it. And and Jesus is is really trying to create some self-awareness on the part of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law there to say, you know, you have your preferences, and you are assuming that your preferences are actually what God prefers. And you've made a wrong connection. God is up to something new with these tax collectors and sinners. Do you know, we all have judgments inside of what it looks like to be so holy. We have our assumption of what it looks like to be a blessed person. To think that person must really be on God's side. Do you see how they clean up nicely? Or that person, depending on your, your, your culture and experience, you're like, that person, if they're really on Jesus' side, they should change their hair. I had a pastor once who thought people who are really on Jesus' side should wear shoes, not sandals. So I had the situation where I had taken all these kids to camp. And then one of them, whose life had been so changed and touched that week, stood up in front of the church to share about how God had really blessed his life. And the only thing I heard from the pastor was he wore sandals. You need to do something about these kids. Look, they're wearing sandals. We can all get there where we don't understand the new wine power of Jesus and the new skin. It looks different in them. It looks different with that generation. It looks different with those people in that culture to contextualize the gospel and the grace of Christ. Do you know sometimes people come to North America and they see a white guy preaching and they're like, I don't think that guy really loves Jesus. Because he's just too calm. (laughs) He's too calm. I'm not sure he really loves Jesus. I'm not sure that church really loves Jesus. Did you see them? You know, we have our internal assumptions of what it's going to look like if someone really loves God, if someone has truly repented, and we must be careful, or we too will miss out on the grace of God. We'll miss out on what God is doing in a generation. Some of us fear doing something new and different with Jesus Because we like our comfort so much. Hey, you know, it's way more comfortable over here. I know what this tastes like. I know what this feels like. But Jesus wants to invite you into a relationship with a new group of people, with a new faculty, with a new set of people in an apartment building, with a new crew that comes up out of Wreck Beach. He wants to introduce you there. But for fear of being uncomfortable, having things that you don't like, or unfamiliar with, you won't venture in to the sharing of the best news ever. That Jesus is making what happens in heaven happen on earth. Yeah. This party with Levi is the making of the prayer. Oh God, our Father, would you cause that which is in heaven to be done on earth? You know, Jesus had to make it plain later to the Pharisees when they were complaining again. There he is again, hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And he had to tell three stories of that which was lost being found. And every time, he indicates that in heaven, when one person changes their mind about God and themselves and the people and the stuff of earth... When one person changes their mind, there's a party in heaven. And here it is. Jesus was making what's true in heaven true on earth. So let's do it too. Heavenly Father, we set our lives before you and we pray that you would cause our gatherings and celebrations to be what happens in heaven Father, would you give us the the unction of the father in the story that said, we have to celebrate. For he who was dead is alive. He who was lost to me has been found. Would you give to us the assurance that you are still working on us, that you haven't just done a patch job You have actually done a radical transformation of our very lives and our future, our soul and our spirit, and may it be fully expressed in this body. May we have the confidence of looking each other in the church and being able to say, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, Would you change the way we see? Would you give us a check in our spirit so that we don't live out of our assumptions and judgments, but instead we live in the wisdom and the grace and the revelation of your spirit in our lives? Lord Jesus, we want to be true to you. We want to be kind towards people, and we want to carry the gospel to the nations.